For the Christian, a critical truth to understand is that this, this place, is not our home. Yeah, for the Christian, we've got to understand this. We've got to to get it through our, our heads and our minds and into our spirits that the Bible tells us that this place is not our home. We're passing through. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, letter of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he calls Christians pilgrims. He calls them sojourners. Pilgrims and sojourners who are passing through, making their way in worship to another place, another destination. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in, in this chapter, and I'll mention it here again. There's a name in the book of Revelation for those who have not bowed their knee to Almighty God. What is it? It's this, earth dwellers. Earth dwellers are those who dwell upon the earth. Now, when you come to that phrase, you come to that name, you, at first glance, you might think that it is a geographical identification, earth, th- those that are dwelling upon the earth, earth dwellers. But it is not. It is a de- is it's a designation of those who have embraced the earth over the kingdom of God. And so they are designated earth dwellers or those who dwell upon the earth. And what you see happening today is a sharpening of the line between those who the book of Revelation would call earth dwellers and those who the book would call citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so as things progress, what we're seeing is a sharpening of that line uh, because the, 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 the time is going to come where the, the, the clear sides will be evident. For the Christian, the true believer is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We may be here now. We may live here now. We may be even enjoying it for a time here and now. But again, this is not our home, and the Bible makes it crystal clear. Here in our Bible text tonight, Peter also makes that crystal clear. He tells us that as Christians, we're sojourners in the land. And so he exhorts us. Peter exhorts in his letter first century Christians. He commends this teaching to first century Christians. And as we are here tonight reading it in the 21st century, he is commending these things to the hearers here in the 21st century, 2,000 years later. This passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 has dealt largely and centered around the conduct of the believer, how we're to conduct ourselves as people who live in this 21st century and in the place that we are, but as Christians, as people who love God, as people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And so we have these admonitions to 21st century Christians on our conduct. And Peter addresses, he goes on, not only to address conduct, but to address many other areas of life. Tonight, we're going to look at an important area of life, and that is politics, the political life of a believer. Peter exhorts Christians to submit to government. He exhorts Christians to submit to government. So this is the area that we are going to take a look at tonight for the 21st century Christian, submitting to government. Let's pick it up. Verse 13 of 1 Peter 2, it says this, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So what Peter is driving at here as he gets to another area of the conduct of the 21st century Christian, or the first century Christian, and us here in the 21st century, he exhorts believers, pilgrims, to submit to government. So right away, right as we start the study tonight, we have this exhortation here from Peter, and it may rub some people the wrong way. I mean, no one likes the word submit, and 
A lot of people don't like the word government. So there's a lot wrong in that particular phrase for a lot of people. There's, there's, there's a lot, you know, kind of working against us there. And, and so it may have rubbed you the wrong way when you saw it pop up on the screen there. Submit to government. It may rub us like sandpaper, or for some of you, the statement may rub you even like a cheese grater. But before anyone gets bent out of shape, it's important to know the context of what was happening in the first century, Jewish and now Christian circles, and so as to understand why Peter is having to make this statement in this important letter that he has written. The Jews of the day and many Christians were awful to obey any ruler that was not a Jew. And you see, this was the crux of the situation. This was the crux. This was where the rub was. These people held that as Jews, they were subject to no one except God and God's law. And so when it came to any other type of government, any other form of government, there was a little bit of rebellion, and maybe in some, a lot of rebellion against anyone who would seek to rule over them. So this was a problem. It was causing problems within the Jewish community and now the Christian community because many of the Christians in the Christian community were converts from Judaism. And so they held this belief that they were subject only to God and to his law. And so the apostles, they had to step right into the middle of this particular issue. And so you have the the preachers, the apostles, that weren't afraid to address the political issue of the day that needed to be addressed in the, in the churches. You had Paul addressing the church at Rome in chapter 13 of Romans on these issues. And here you have Peter addressing the issue as well. Peter here tells them that they should obey their civil magistrate, that they were to submit to government, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. They were to put themselves under the rule of government. That it didn't matter if it was a king. If it, it didn't matter if it was a king, a potentate. It didn't matter if it was a governor. Peter says clearly here, he says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to a, the king is, is supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. And so they were to put themselves under the rule of government. And when we look down at verse 12 there, we're given the big reason why we're to do this. And he says, for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake we're to do this. In in, in Romans chapter 13, I I mentioned it just a, a second ago, Paul encourages us to comply with the authorities, to submit to them. For the Christian, for the Christian, there's a lot of submitting going on. In fact, if, if you're a Christian, you, you, you have to learn a little bit about that word. It, it, it needs to be a word that, m- that maybe isn't so repulsive. I, I know it's a word that maybe is repulsive in this culture, in this society, but for the Christian, our lives as believers begin as we submit to God. Amen? Our lives as believers begin as we humble ourselves before Almighty God and we submit to Him looking for Him to to give us the grace that he wants to give us. And so for the Christian, a lot of submission, a lot of submitting. We submit to God. We submit to God. And now Peter is encouraging us to submit to the, the authorities, the government, the rule of government, the government of the governing authorities. And this goes against, this, this perhaps goes against, uh, you know, something that we may feel. You know, we, we may feel, we, we may agree with the first century Jews. Uh, we may agree with the, uh, Jude, the, the Christian converts from Judaism. We would say, yeah, yeah, we, we don't need this government. We don't need th- that government. We, 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 we should, you know, and I, I've thought about it. I'll be honest, you know. I mean, I've thought about it. Maybe we could all get together and, you know, go out and find us a new island somewhere and just say, yeah, this is a new nation. And, uh, you know, Come on, you've thought of it, right? No, you didn't want to leave your Wi-Fi or your whatever. It goes against what we really want in some ways. But we, we need to submit to the government. Why? Because God's a God of order. Amen? God's a God of order, and it begins with us first submitting to God, 
and then we submit to the governing authorities. We submit to one another in love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, submit to your husbands. So, I mean, there's a lot of submission going on, and, and this is all because God has an order, and he's a God of order, and there's a way that things have to be conducted. Now, because God is a God of order, the Christian is not to stir up unnecessary conflict. The Christian person, really, we're not called to stir up unnecessary conflict. You say, well, what's that, Charles? Uh, I see a lot of Christians. There, there's there's going to be conflict anyways. When we stand up for Christ, when we stand up for his word and, and the principles of God's word, there is going to be conflict that we're going to encounter. But, but I have to say that I do see Christians that go out to stir up uh, conflict and controversy so that they can get, you know, hits on their YouTube channel or, or whatever it is these days. And, and, and I say, you know what? Uh, I, I look at some of that and I see some of it rolling and I say, ah, you know, that's not really, that's not really what we're called to do. We're not called to, you know, be agitators. We're, we're called to be people who obey the Lord, love the Lord and love people. And do that in such a way as to win people to to the Lord. Not to do such such things in such a way as to drive people away. I I think there's, 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 there's Christians today that will take that position, that they will do things in such a way that literally, you know, and if you sat them down with a cup of coffee, they'd, they'd articulate how wonderful their, their, their goal is and what they're trying to, to do, but really they're doing it in a way that is not accomplishing anything for the gospel, and it's literally driving people away. And, and we, we, we need to do things with a, in a winsome way. And I think that, I think God modeled a, that for us, don't you think? Perfectly in Christ. Um, you know, he, he laid down his life and, you know, he, he, he was tried before Herod and Pilate and, and you know, he, he said exactly what he needed to, needed to say, you know, but not too much. You know, he didn't go overboard. He didn't say too much. He said exactly what needed to be said. And I think we can take a lesson, you know, from the Lord in that sense. Now, Peter here, in this exhortation, he gives the proper and primary role of a civil government. Paul also does this in, in Romans chapter 13. And so right here we have the proper and primary role of a civil government. And what is it? What is the proper and primary role of the civil government? They are God's servants to punish evildoers and to, pr- to praise or commend those who do well. The, the, the authorities are set up to punish evildoers, those that break the law, in other words. Evildoers is, is, is his way of saying those who break the law. And so the government is established by God to punish evildoers, those that break the law. A place to live should be governed by the rule of law. If someone breaks the law, they should be, they should be punished. If they do not break the law, they should be commended for contributing to a peaceful society. So the government should protect the people from evildoers. This is what, the, this is what a government, this is what a, a good king should do. This is what a good governor should do. This is what a good government should do. Protect the people, punishing evildoers, those that break the law, and commending those who, who obey the law and uphold it. And I believe this goes for people who are inside the nation, inside the city, inside the state, and outside. Evildoers can come from both sides of the line, the fence, if you will. You have those outside evildoers, and the government should protect the people from outside evildoers and protect the people from inside evildoers. There is nothing immoral about, a, about having a nation state, a nation with borders and laws. And, and this goes back to the, the founding of, of a city-state. You know, the early city-states, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we do have a discussion about this in our society. We, we, th- this is the discussion, right? You guys with me? 
you know, do we have a nation? Do we have a border? Do, 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 is it right for the government to protect the people from evildoers, those who are breaking the law? And, and, and this is, and, and as I said before I began the message, I said, the word of God is authoritative for the life of the believer. And, and this is what it says. The, 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 the king, the, the magistrate, the, the governor is, is there to punish the evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. And so we've got to have, we've got to have a government that protects the borders. Amen? We've got to have a... I mean, because we've got, we've got people who want to do evil. Um, just, a, just a word on protecting the borders. Um, uh, I've visited countries on three continents... And every time I visited another country, I had to present documentation to enter the country, to legally enter the country, right? I, I, I just couldn't just waltz into a country and, and just disobey the rules for, for no reason, you know? And, and I think this is a principle that, that, that is established because the government should be there to uphold the rule of law and, 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 to, and to protect the citizens of, from evildoers from without and from within. So this goes both ways. Protecting the borders. In fact, to not protect people from evildoers from within and without is lawlessness itself. And that's what we see. We see this type of lawlessness beginning. We see it across Europe. We, if you're paying attention, you, this is what you see. You see, it, you see this to where things are happening in certain places, in certain nations, where the governments are not actually even able to respond to the, 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 the tragic breaking of the laws that are happening in, in their own cities, in their own nations. And, and, and if, if we don't get a handle on this, it's, 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 it's going to go from bad to worse. And the Bible tells us, that, you know, you read Thessalonians, right? And the lawlessness, you know, he that, he that lets is letting until he that lets is taken out of the way. And, and so right now, we, 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 need to be, we need to be in unison with the Holy Spirit to, to, uh, you know, to do what he's doing and to, and to be um, right in sync with, with the will of the Lord. Amen. Where this applies to the U.S. is in our borders and protecting the American people. We, we are a nation, and this nation deserves to be protected, its people and its borders. And I'm, you know, I am talking to you as, as a son of the American Revolution. My forefather came to this nation in 1772 from Germany. Jacob Nestor, as an 11-year-old boy, at 17, fought with the Pennsylvania militia and fought in the revolution for this nation. I believe still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And so we have a nation that deserves to be protected, and the people deserve to be protected. Now, we live in a different nation. There are many nations across the face of the earth, but we live in a different nation. We live in the United States of America, which according to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, was brought forth on this continent, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men were created equal and that that government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. Amen? Amen. Our Constitution starts with these words. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. How many can still quote it? Right? The preamble. Come on. Come on, folks. You, you learned this, right? 
are we still teaching this? Are we still requiring, you know, that the, 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 they, they learn this? So we're the people. We are the people. This nation is a, is a, is a different nation. It's a, it's a nation of, by, and for the people of the nation. This is, this is the nation that our founders conceived of, put together. So we have an awesome responsibility. If this is a nation of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, we then have an awesome responsibility in this government that we live in, in this nation that we live in. We've been given stewardship over the nation as the people. The, our government is set up, our government is set up in such a way that we go to the we go to the ballot box, we go to the voting booth, and we send people into the various offices where they serve the people. We, we vote for our representatives, our senators, our governors, our president. We, we, this is the form of government. So we have an awesome responsibility because we've been given the right to vote in this nation and it's a government of, of the people, by the people, and for the people. So we have an awesome responsibility. We have a stewardship over the nation. Now the Apostle Paul it said this about stewards. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, you'll see it up on the screen. He said this, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It is required of stewards that one be found faithful. And so the, the people of this nation, we need to, individually and collectively, we need to be proper stewards of the nation. And, and, and we need to do the things that we need to do. We need to steward it by casting our vote for those who will uphold a godly morality and upholding the founding principles. And tonight I want to talk to you about a couple of those issues that we're facing. And the reason why I want to address a couple of those issues, because we're right in this whole idea of submitting to the government, and we need to submit to the government, but there's also an idea in our nation that we have, which is we are a part of the government in that sense. We've been given a stewardship. If we don't like a law in this nation, we, Peter says, submit yourself to every governing law. And there's a process in this nation, whereas if we do not like a law, we can work together in this nation to, to change that. We can win hearts and minds towards moving it in a different direction. And that's why that's one of the great things of the nation that we have. Amen? We can, we can, and we've seen this happen in our, in our history. We, we have a great history of this, you know? We, we once had slavery in this nation, and, and, and things were moved in a direction, and of course there was a civil war fought to end it. But then there was legislation that was needed to continue to right the wrongs that were done. So tonight I want to just take a look at a couple of things. If, if you allow me, and within the context of being within the Word of God. Amen? And so, um, talk to a, a, about a couple of issues that the country needs to get right and keep right, keep on the right path. We've talked about pro pro protecting the borders, that, that the, the that Peter makes it clear that the, the king, the governor, is there to punish the evildoer. So we've talked about protecting the border from, from that angle. But I also want to talk about self-defense. And the reason why I want to talk about self-defense is because it is becoming a big issue. For the, I see this all over the Internet. I see it all over the blogosphere. I see it all over everywhere. And there's questions on things that used to be settled in the minds of believers and honestly even in the minds of just common sense thinking people that are now becoming great questions as to what should we do about this and, and, and where should we land on this issue and, and, and what type of a way should we proceed. And, and, so I, and I think self-defense is, is a big issue. It's a big question. Are, are you seeing the same, the same talk that I'm seeing? Just give me a nod. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you reading the same things that I am? Okay, I just want to know that, that you're with me on this. 
So I, I thought it was appropriate tonight to address some of these issues, and, and specifically self-defense was something that, that was on my mind, because I believe that as the nation grows and there's more population, and there's, and there's a greater density in populations, that the, this is only going to be, become a bigger and bigger issue, this issue of self-defense. In recent times, the right to self-defense and the right to bear arms has come under attack by those who wish to take that fundamental right away from the citizens. But the right of self-defense is fundamental. It is, is common sense and it is fundamental. First, you have a principle in the Old Testament of the watchman. In Ezekiel chapter 33, we have this passage where the Lord is talking to Ezekiel, and, and he's, he's giving him this principle of and setting him as a watchman over the city. And see, in the ancient city-states, the walled cities, yes, the walled cities, they, they had a watchman that would watch for the evildoer that would come to, to, to bring harm, to do things that were unlawful, to bring evil into the, into the city. And so the, they would set watchmen so that the people of the city would be properly warned for the attack, the imminent attack, the evildoer that was coming. And in this particular passage in Ezekiel 33, God is talking to Ezekiel and he's setting him a watchman as a prophet over the souls of the nation and he's using the analogy of the actual watchman to drive the point home. And the principle is there for us all to see. And so we come down to uh, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 6 where God says this, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes, a, takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. What this is saying is that if a watchman saw danger coming, he saw imminent attack. He saw, he sees the sword coming. And he does not warn the people for whatever reason. He turns a blind eye towards it. Maybe he nodded off in the night. He fell asleep. Maybe he was checking the scores of the ball game on his phone. But he missed it. He did not see it. He's, and he should have seen it. Why? Because he was set as a watchman. To, to see the danger coming and to warn. His, his job was to watch and to warn. And, and God says something important here, that if he does not see it coming and he does not warn, that his life would be required of him. And, 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 and what this does is it sets a precedent in Scripture of the, of the principle of watching out and warning and protecting yourself and being able to be ready in a, in a self-defense type of situation. You know, what I see today, and I see this, and, and I'm blown away by some of the stuff that I read, and I sit there and I say to myself, where has the common sense of this world gone to when I read some of these articles? And I see some of the, you know, Jesus did not advocate that we have a nation where we allow people just to roll in and roll over the people. This is absolute nonsense. And the fact that we even have to say that in this time that we live in is absolutely crazy and beyond. But it needs to be said. And, I, and, it, and it, it's, it's crazy that, that somebody has, actually has to say this in a message, in a, in a, in a place. But to, to make it firm in our believers... Because you will have conversations. You will be in talks with people. You will be talking with people. And you will see this. And, and, I, and, I, I, read, and I read one of the articles. And I was like, man, i, I, I got to dig in here. And i got to really look at what does the Bible say about self-defense. What the Bible says is that we need to be protecting ourselves. That we're not to be sitting ducks. No, and nowhere in the Bible does, does God advocate for people to just be sitting ducks and just let people just wreak havoc. And the fact that, that that even somehow makes sense to some people is, is just is, is, is evidence for me of the growing deception that is sweeping across the world. And so we have this principle of the watchman. If, if, he, didn't, if he didn't warn, 
and blow the trumpet. Then he would be held responsible for whatever happened to the people. So there is a warning to protect. Secondly, I want to take you take a look at the issue of bearing arms. Now, you say, well, where's the scripture on that? <laughs> um, we, we, they didn't have firearms, but they had arms, right? <laughs> they had, there were armaments. You know, if you ever watch a good episode of, of Pawn Stars, you know that somebody's going to come in with a, you know, some club from some, you know, Scottish, uh, you know, knight or something, and they're going to bring in the guy that's the expert on armaments to tell us what it is and to tell us if it's a fake or if it's the real thing. And, and so armaments. Many, many, many people think that Jesus was a complete pacifist. And the one verse that they hold on to is where Jesus said, turn the other cheek, right? If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him, turn to him the other cheek as well. And I, I don't think, I, I think this was probably in some type of a way more of kind of, uh, this wasn't, Jesus was not advocating in that that you would not defend yourself in a situation where the guy was not slapping the cheek, but literally wanting to take you out. You know, there is one thing that we can do in those situations, most of us, and that's run. <laughs> you know, run away from danger. But if you can't do that and you don't have that, it helps to have something to defend yourself. But I believe... I believe Jesus did advocate that his disciples bear arms to protect themselves. When he sent them out, he, when he sent them out to evangelize and preach the kingdom, you will remember the first time he sent them out, what did he do? He says, I don't, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to take your money bag. I don't want you to take your food bag. I want you to go out there and I want you to preach the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, you're going to be you know, God's going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You're going to be protected and you're going to be taken care of from the gospel. The people, the, the, the people that hear your message are going to be blessed by your message and, they're, and they're, going to, they're going to, you know, from the spiritual blessings that you bring into their lives, they're going to bless you from the, from the physical resources that they have. And so he said, don't, don't take your, your money back. But, but on a particular occasion, and this was right before uh, Jesus' arrest, he, he kind of changes the tune. He changes the message for the disciples because he was going to be leaving and he was going to be sending them out into uh, a broader context of the world. And, and so this is what he said to them in Luke chapter 22, verse 36. It says this, Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag... Well, let me back up before I read this. Right before this, he prefaces what I just told you about how he sent them out the first time. He said, don't take a money back. But go back. But he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Oh, okay. So before you told us if we had a money bag, leave it at home because we were going to be taken care of on the road ministering the gospel. But now you're telling us if we have a money bag to bring it along with us. And likewise, a knapsack. Oh, okay, so, so a change of clothes, maybe a pillow, maybe we've got one of those, uh, you know, I don't know. It's not for me. I'm not a camper. I'm not one of those guys that has, you know, one of those whole contraptions. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So what is Jesus, you know, saying here? You know, you're better to be caught. You better have a sword and, 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 and not a coat. <laughs> you better be, to be cold and still alive than to be overrun by a band of robbers out there as you go out to minister the gospel. Amen? And so, you know, I, I, I bring up this verse and, of course, the verse of the watchman and, and, and these verses... Because we're living in a time when, you know, it's, it's getting crazy out there. It, it literally is getting crazy. In fact, 
if you're like me, you have to kind of just push away and just take some deep breaths and just say, well, how, how is it that this is the discussion, that this, we're, we're, we're discussing this? This is, this is craziness. Jesus told them that he sent them out before and that they, would, they were to take no provisions. Their testimony was that they were taken care of. And this drove home a point with the disciples that they were to trust God. Now Jesus is going to leave them and they were to take provisions and also a sword for protecting themselves against robbers and attackers. Now the verse goes on there and says, someone produces two swords. And Jesus said, that's enough. Now there are many that have said, well, you can only have two swords or a group of people can only have two swords. I mean, literally, I read this in the commentaries. I'm going, what? And there's all these interpretations of this particular passage. Till finally I came to some solid interpretations, amen, from some solid Bible commentators that said what he said is, okay, that, that's good. We need to move on here. And that's really what Jesus is saying. Okay, good. You got a couple swords? Good. Let's move on. Okay? Because this, things were about to move fast. And so we need to pay attention to what the Lord is saying in his word. You see, Jesus is not telling you, when he says, turn the other cheek, he is not telling you uh, to sit there and just get your clock cleaned. Amen? He's, 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 not, he's not advocating that. You see, basic common sense in these commands. Lastly tonight, and just for a, a, a couple more moments, I want to address one more issue, and I think it's the, I think it's the most important issue of our time, of our generation, of our life. And it's the issue of life. The issue of life. Now some of this will be review for you. Some of this will bring home the importance of the principle of life in a new way. And so I want to address it. I believe that the Bible tells us and, and speaks very clearly that a human life begins at conception. At the conception of the human being, that that's when life begins. You have life beginning at conception, but being unborn. The prophet Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. You'll see it up on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He, he, Jeremiah is saying, God is saying, I, I formed you in your mother's womb. And not only did I form you in the womb, in that state, but, you, but I ordained you as a prophet. That, that, that the person that, that you are, that every bit of, of who you are, today in terms of your DNA, in terms of, of what you are biologically that you were in the womb when God formed you. Life, but yet unborn. And so God formed us in the womb. When our mother conceived us with our father, all of that stuff that was us was in that embryo, that fetus. And we see this in Psalm 139 as the psalmist continues in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord give the, the psalmist giving praise to the, to the creator for, for forming him and, and making him in his mother's womb. And so the Bible teaches very clearly, it's crystal clear that God formed us. He superintended the project. We know that according to Colossians, that God is holding all the atoms of the world together. All things in him consist. And, and so God is fearfully and wonderfully making human lives. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, but you're made in the image of God. Genesis 1 verse 26 it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so 
God made man in his image. You are made in the image of God. Every person has been formed and made by God in the image of God. And this is the most important principle in understanding the life issue. That not only is it a living person, living yet unborn, but it's made in the image of God. And this is very clear from the very first chapter of the Bible. Now, in biblical teaching, murder is prohibited because humans are created in the image of God and they're not to take the life of another person. This is found, we see this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For, the, for in the image of God, he made man. And so God is, is, is basically saying, look, th- this, is, this, is, this, is, this is at the top of the list. Because every single person is made in the image of God. And so blood should not be shed. Innocent blood should not be shed. Now, I want to take you to a a couple of passages. And I first came across this when I was teaching through the book of Joshua. And as you come into into study the book of Joshua, the, the background is everything that has been told to the nation by Moses before the baton was passed to Joshua. And so you have this background of information where they're being told a series of things that like when you come into the land, you're to do this. And when you come into the land that I'm going to give you, you're not to do this. You're not to ever do this. And so these types of admonitions are there in that background information in the book of Deuteronomy and some of it in the book of Numbers. God gives Israel precepts and procedures for properly ruling over the land that he's going to give them. So here you have the nation of Israel. You have God going to give them a land, a nation with borders. They're going to be a nation. And and he gives them procedures. He gives them principles so as they could properly govern and rule over the land that God was giving them. Now, in the final chapter, in in the final verses of Numbers 35, a chapter that deals with the creation of cities of refuge to deal with people who were guilty of manslaughter, God gives a statute on dealing with the person, person who is guilty of premeditated murder. A person guilty of premeditated murder was to be put to death. And this was to be done according to the law of the witness where the witness of two or three would establish the guilt of a person. So a premeditated murder was just in this category all by itself of of kind of the most egregious things that you could commit. The question is, why would God deal so decisively and irrevocably with a murderer? The answer is found in Numbers chapter 35, verse 34. And it says this, Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell. And I, wanted, I, want, you, I want that just to sink in for you. The principle of dealing decisively and irrevocably with premeditated murder is because God was giving them the land and he did not want them to defile the land that he was giving them. How is that? How do you defile land? Well, let's, well, let me answer the question and then we'll read the verse. The spilling of blood by premeditated murder defiles the land. Here's the verse, 35, Numbers 35, verse 33. You'll see it on the screen. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, For blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed upon it, except by the blood of him who shed it. 
So this, this, is actually a serious, this is actually a serious principle. That if you, you want to know what defiles land, it's the shedding of innocent blood is actually what defiles the land. And we just read the verse. So the crime of murder is not only an offense against the sanctity of life, it's a pollutant to the Lord's land. Abel's blood cried out from the ground. You say, what? Yeah, the first murder, the first murder, Cain killed his brother, and God tell, God comes to Cain in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. You'll see it on the screen. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so we can see here that the, that the innocent blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. The testimony of your brother's blood is before me. Might be another way to say that. Well, you say, what are the implications for the world? What are the implications for the United States of America? Presently, according to the Center for Disease Control, we murder by premeditation between 800,000 and 1.2 million people a year by abortion. Since Roe versus Wade was decided, we have killed over 50 million people by abortion, by premeditated murder. Needless to say, blood has been spilt in such huge quantities that it is safe to say that the land has been polluted and defiled. And I'm going to strike at the very heart of some nonsense here for a second. We have been given, man was given dominion over this planet, over this place, to rule over it. We were the height of, of the creation, the pinnacle of the creation, and given dominion over to rule over, to rule over the, the animals that walk along the, the land and the things and the seas and the air and all of it. And What's happened in recent days is that there are some people that want to take man from being at the pinnacle of creation and put him at the bottom rung of creation and put the things that are at the bottom rung of creation and put those things at the pinnacle of creation. And so now we have Earth Day. We, 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 have, we have these days that it's about not what God has done in creating man, but what, has God, what, what we have in earth, and actually it's Mother Earth, right? Not Father God, but Mother Earth. You say, well, shouldn't we have an Earth Day? Shouldn't we take care of the planet? Shouldn't we clean up the beaches? Shouldn't we clean up the rivers? Shouldn't we form, shouldn't we have, I remember we were having a service on the beach, and right in the middle of our service, they all came with their orange buckets and their little things, and they were cleaning up the trash right in our midst. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being out there cleaning up the rivers and the lakes and the oceans. But let's clean up the, that which is actually really defiling the land in this country. And it's the premeditated blood that is being shed on a daily basis in a thing called abortion. And so I've put together my own slogan for this. Being pro-life is the old being green. <laughs> you like that? Everybody, let's be green. Let's protect the planet. Let's protect the planet. I'm all for it. Let's start with the number one pollutant that we're dealing with. And you say, well, this is all great, and I want you to be able to say that my pastor got up and preached this message. This is part of the watchman. This is part of what a pastor is called to, being a watchman. You know? 
And, and, and I want you to be able to say, hey, I, I, I know where my pastor stands on these issues, and I know what the Word of God says, and I know what's happening in this, in this, in this deal. And, you know, God has a certain level of allowance of, of, of what is happening, but, but there's a point at which that is going to come to an end. You know, there was a day and, and a point in time when God shut the door of the ark. Amen? I mean, it was 100 years while, while Noah was building it. You know, come on in. You can be a part of the whole thing. It's, you know, be saved from the destruction that's coming. And I've always loved preaching this. You know, who shut the door of the ark? Read it in Genesis. God shut the door. There was a time when that door, that doorway was shut. Right now, the doorway wide open. I am the door. Come unto me and receive forgiveness, receive mercy, receive grace. Even for those that have been involved in these practices, for the abortionist, for those who've had abortions, for those who've been on any particular side of this issue, there, there is the love of God and the grace of God to be extended to everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. But we, as stewards of the, of the nation, need to stand for this. We need to stand for this. And if there's And I'll, I'll put it this way, and I'll close with this. If, if, you know, if, we, can't, if we can't stand for this, I, I'm not, I don't know what we can stand for. I don't know what, what people would actually have the stomach to stand for if they cannot stand for the sanctity of human life and that we are made in the image of God. Amen? I, I have this in some other notes, and um, there's a story, and you can look this up on the Internet, but uh, there was a, a mother and father that had had, had several children, and uh, they had had all kinds of disabled children. And uh, so in this scenario, the question is, you know, upon this next pregnancy, you know, what do you advocate? You know, you've had several disabled children. I mean... It, seems to be a problem here. You know, would you go ahead and end this pregnancy and not bring another disabled person in the world? And so in this particular scenario, the question is asked, would you abort the child of this particular family? And if, you, if someone were to answer yes, I think it would be good to abort that child. The answer comes ringing clear that you just aborted Beethoven. that we're, we're, we're not to be making the decisions of God. We're to be under, the, under authority, and we're to be people under authority, and that's what this message is about. It's a really a two-edged sword for us because we do live in a un, unique nation where we are given part of the stewardship of the nation. And... I'll close with this. I could, I could keep going, but I want to I wrap this up. For as long as I've been voting, I have, vote, I have voted on one singular issue. Who is it going to sit in the chair in the Oval Office to nominate judges to the courts? You say, what? Well, what about health care? What about jobs? What about the economy? What about... No. Who is going to sit in the Oval Office and nominate judges to sit on the benches of our judicial courts? That is the number one issue, I believe, for myself personally, since I have been voting. And that's because in our nation of what's happened, we have to look to that issue.